Hello. It is another Sunday in Brooklyn. This is Objection to the Rule, uh, live on Radio Free Brooklyn, your Sunday news hour. Uh, so we have a, you, uh, a new thing we're doing today. So I, Emily, uh, a regular host on the show, will also be the only one on the show today. Uh, it is the holidays. Uh, so we have like a little different format we're going to be testing out. Um, I think it's going to be fun. Hold on to your iPhones, baby. We're diving in. Um, we'll be in, I'll be interspersing some pre-recorded features including a couple of original segments from our very own Match Naiman, uh, as well as some news updates. So don't worry, you will be getting that. And uh, some extra music sprinkled throughout for good measure. Uh, so let's just dive into a, a local news story I got for you here. Uh, so New York City it will fully expand its Fair Fares discount Metro card program. Uh, recently, we've been talking a lot about affordable public transportation in New York and around the world. So it feels like uh, it feels good to have a bit of positive news on that front. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio and Council Speaker Corey Johnson announced this week that the city will be expanding the Fair Fares program, which offers half price Metro cards to New Yorkers who are living at or below the federal poverty threshold. The program launched at the start of 2019 as a limited pilot kind of operation uh, available to only certain groups like veteran students and some New York City Housing Authority residents. Uh, now, starting on January 27th, 2020, anyone at the poverty threshold will be allowed to enroll. In its current limited state, there are about 100,000 participants, while the, quote, expansion opens the program to roughly 800,000 low-income New Yorkers. Um, and that is reporting from uh, AM New York, where I got most of this research from. So thank you to them. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio originally opposed the program, estimated to cost $212 million due to budget concerns, but was swayed by advocates. And in a statement said, we're a city that puts working people first and no New Yorker should have to choose between taking mass transit and putting food on the table. Uh, when we talk about issues of affordable public transit, and this is me, end quote, from the other one. Uh, when we talk about issues of affordable public transit, it's important to remember that quite often what happens is that the lower a person's income, the farther they have to travel from where they can afford to live to where they can work to earn enough money to live there. For example, someone living in an outer borough travel, uh, can, can travel an hour plus on subway to get to Midtown for their job five days a week. And for uh, many people living in poverty, every dollar spent has to be carefully planned out, and two seventy-five per subway ride can be a real strain. As Rebecca Balin of the Riders Alliance said in regards to the Fair Fares program, quote, it's a stress reliever. It means not having to think about how you're going to pay to get on the train or make tough decisions in our in our life, in your life. In New York, public transit isn't really an option, it's a necessity. And that's another quote I got from AM New York, AMNY. Uh, so me personally, I would like to see a situation where residents below a certain income level could ride for free. And I know I'm probably naive uh, saying that because I, I, it's true. Like I, I've never, you know, worked in that industry. I'm sure there's other factors. Or there usually are. But I still don't see why it's not possible in a world where Amazon was offered over a billion dollars in tax credits to open a headquarters. And thank God that didn't happen. Am I right? Um, but yeah, uh, so that was a little news segment I got for you there. 
And now I am going to play one of those features I mentioned earlier from the wonderful Match Naaman. Um, so this is an excerpt of a podcast that uh, Matt made with Spoon Jackson, who is an incarcerated man in California. Um, so it's called At Night I Fly. And here we go. Um, before we record for the next episode, would you like to hear the theme song I made? Uh, yeah. All right, so here's the theme song. At night. At night. I fly. I fly. How's that? Sounds good. Sounds cool. I saw. I closed my eyes and I saw the night a little bit. So that's cool. Welcome to At Night I Fly calls from Solano State Prison. I'm Matthew Schneeman. I'm a journalist and I'm on the outside. I interview Spoon Jackson, a man who happens to be on the inside. He tells me stories and then I go look into them or whatever fact or particular thing grabs my attention. Today we're going to talk about love and Sweden. I talked to a very particular Swede, but first, last week was Thanksgiving. And what says Thanksgiving? Like MC Hammer. We can't just start it and something happened Thursday on Thanksgiving, MC Hammer came in. MC Hammer. Can't touch this, MC Hammer. So, yeah, Hammer is cool. And he came in, his old friend, he even married, got, performed a wedding for his old friend. Hammer's friend is the lead man of the band, a guy named, his nickname is Go. Mm-hmm. And so he up there singing some old classic R&B. Hammer's out there dancing in the audience, you know, just kicking it, listening to him. And then finally he went up there and did two sets with him, like I was saying. And it was cold out there. When he started doing Can't Touch This, People started coming out of the visiting room, coming out there in the cold, check it out. It just warmed up the whole place. This may not mean much to many people, but I remember MC Hammer floating down from a building wearing hammer pants, and I was like 10 or something, and it was amazing. It was a splendid time. I actually enjoyed the food. I don't really celebrate Thanksgiving. I don't like how they did the Indians. And one of my ancestors was Indian, half Indian, but, you know, I celebrate food. <laughs> I love eating. Yeah. I want to travel the world and eat everywhere. Yeah? What What's on eat your food. list? Uh, Italy, France, Sweden. Sweden. Sweden's important to Spoon. We'll get to that. But first, we need to talk about France a little. I want to go to France and sit outside on the cafe and watch people, because that's where a lot of artists went to, especially the artists of color when they were discriminated against here in this country. And so I want to go sit in the cafe. A lot of writers go there and just sit in the cafe and write. And that's what I want to do and check out the atmosphere. And Samuel Beckett is buried over in France, so I want to go visit his grave because I've been waiting for Godot and he was uh, kept in contact with us while we developed the play. So I want to see his grave and just, you know, say a couple of words. 
Waiting for Godot is a massively important play that redefined what you can do with theater. It's about two people waiting for their friend or someone named Godot, but it's set in a strange post-apocalyptic land, and everything is strange. And Godot never shows up. That's the important part. Beckett supported prison productions of this play because, like Godot, prisoners are waiting. And for people like Spoon, who has a life sentence that might be overturned, but also may not, this play is painfully close. The waiting aspect. I didn't know Spoon had a correspondence with one of the greatest modern playwrights. Samuel Beckett did? What? Yeah. Oh, wow. I I, I didn't know that. At San Quentin, yeah. He kept in contact with me. Yeah, he loved my poetry, too. He, he liked my poetry. Uh, gave him a chapbook, and, and he talked about my poetry that he liked. And even sent me a letter, and I sent him a letter and all that stuff. It's it's so funny because you are so proactive with your poetry and your art that even though you're locked up, you're friends with Ani DeFranco, you've corresponded with Samuel Beckett, you just you just saw MC Hammer. Like yeah. In some ways, you're more connected than a lot of people. And Gloria Steinem loved my writing, and she gave me her real address, and I write her. Yeah. So, funny thing, too, happened with that guy that plays on Roseanne. Can't remember, what's that guy named that played on Roseanne? John Goodman? John Goodman, yeah. He played uh, Pozzo with my friend Bill Irwin on Broadway not too long ago. And Bill had him send me a letter and stuff, you know, how much he liked my work and how to play Pozzo. It was kind of cool. He said Pozzo was big baby. That's what he called him. It's a joke that only Pozzo know, you know. Name drops are annoying, but if celebrity worship can be used to make an incarcerated man seem more human or even cool, I'm fine with it. I mean, not that he, Spoon shouldn't be considered cool, but he shouldn't be considered cool just because he knows John Goodman. Maybe he should. Anyway, he also talked shop with F. Murray Abraham, who played the same character. That's the actor who was the villain in Amadeus. And he's not just celebrities. Check out this one. I met Mother Teresa. What? She's so real. Yeah, I met her. She came into San Quentin the day of my mother's funeral. I was so pissed they wouldn't let me go to a funeral, but Mother Teresa showed up, and I saw her. You have 60 seconds remaining. She reached out to me, didn't know who I was, and gave me a little cross. And that was one of the most beautiful things that ever happened. That's incredible. The uh, the, the Albanian uh, mother put, uh, replaced... Uh, filled in for for your mother on that that sad day that you weren't able to attend. Yeah, I felt that my mother was with her at that time, and she she didn't know nothing. She didn't know me from nobody. So what's up? Is there one more call, or that's it? Are, are you good? Hmm? Yeah, unless you want me to call again, I call on time. Yeah, we can call again. Might as well get as much done okay. today as we can. Okay, well that's cool. All right, talk to you in a second. All right, talk to you. from At Night I Fly, a podcast by one of your 
Objection to the Rule co-host, Matthew Shenanan. I do it with Spoon Jackson, who's out in California. And back to you, Emily. Or you can let the song play out. It's a rather intense song that I wrote for this show. Enjoy. to match name in for that very thoughtful piece and some very cool original music. I uh, played most of it out. I cut off a little bit at the end when it felt like a good breaking point, but um, I love the intensity of it, Matt. Uh, good job. You're a great original musician. Um, okay, guys. So that was, uh, I'm going to call that segment one of this solo hosting uh, situation we got going on here. Uh, I'm going to now do. We just had a bit of music. I'm gonna play a bit more music as like a another hit refresh. Um, when we're back to objection to the rule, which is what you're listening to, uh, we're gonna have some more stories, including another piece from Matt Schneeman, uh, on rehab for birds in New York City. Anyone listening the last few weeks, uh. We t- we're talking about birds, and this is a different sort of story than the pigeon one he told. And then we're also going to have an impeachment update from Sarah, Sarah Weck. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, so uh, this is a song by a band called Broadcast, which I thought was appropriate for a live radio news broadcast. And it's called Come On, Let's Go. Here we go. You won't find it by yourself You're gonna need some help And you won't fail with me around Come on, let's go I will tell you if you change And who's been saying things it's hard to tell Come on, let's go 
once again, that was Come On, Let's Go by a band called Broadcast. Uh, hope you liked that ethereal, almost spooky, retro-feeling song that's actually from the early 2000s, even though it sounds like it's, you know, it could be from the 60s or something. Uh, but welcome back. My name is Emily. I am your host for Objection to the Rule uh, today on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are going to dive back into a little bit of a news update uh, once again, uh, here is an update on the impeachment situation going on in this country from the wonderful uh, regular contributor to the show, Sarah Weck. Um, all right. So this is I saw Sarah I'm reading her words here. I was wondering if I should approach the subject of the impeachment. Uh, there is a lot of ground to cover, and I'm sure everyone is also sick of hearing details of the seemingly arbitrary steps being taken to impeach Trump which will ultimately not remove him from office, but only add a slight stain of embarrassment to his reputation, depending on who you ask. The House has passed two articles of impeachment against President Trump, rendering him officially impeached, but not ousted from the government. Senator Mitch McConnell is the chief strategist for the Republican Majority Senate and is currently working on how to create the shortest possible Senate trial for Trump, even if it means, quote, starting the trial and deciding later on witnesses. Trump and Russia have been trying to shift the blame for tw the 2016 election hacking of the DNC from Russia to Ukraine and are still pushing for the conspiracy theory that Ukraine is at fault, hacking the election in support of Clinton, not Trump. This theory has been debunked by the top intelligence agencies and, strangely, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who has supported Trump and criticized the impeachment, but has also stated that he is 1000 percent confident that it was Russia and not Ukraine. Amidst all of this informational chaos is the undeniable fact that Trump will be the, quote, first sitting president to seek reelection after being impeached, end quote. But he is doing so with a large amount of support from the GOP. And so it is not clear how the impeachment will be viewed in regards to the election if it does not have bipartisan support. In a rally on Saturday in Battle Creek, Michigan, Trump was able to skirt the topic of his impeachment employ his usual fear tactics and chaotic logic and preach his reelection to a sea of MAGA hats. Uh, yes. Thank you, Sarah, for that uh, little update there. Um, yeah, it's uh, the world we live in today. <laughs> oh, she also, she got a bunch of her research from CNN and the New York times on that little update. Um, yeah. I, uh, to add on to that a little bit, I think Nancy, I read, uh, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, uh, from the house is, uh, potentially weighing the holding off of sending the trial to the Senate until there can be a guarantee of a fair trial. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, even though <laughs> a pretty good idea what's going to happen and it doesn't feel very good, but, uh, we'll see. Thank you again, Sarah. Uh, all right, so we're going to dive into another feature from the wonderful Matt Schneeman, uh, who did some extra work on this episode to help me along. So what we got now is uh, a piece called Wild Bird Fund, a tour of New York City's only bird rehab facilities. Uh, it's a very interesting piece from a very interesting person. And once again, if you were listening to his story, uh, his little anecdote about pigeons a few weeks ago, this is maybe the opposite side of that, uh, the inverse, if you will. Uh, here we go.
So that's how Spoon and other inmates took care of birds and dogs while in prison. How do we do it on the outside? Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. Yay, and you have our special guest. The special guest was a goose and a turkey just wandering about. Tomorrow was Thanksgiving, so it was a bit of a mascot. Where was I? The Wild Bird Fund in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So, Matthew, what do you want to cover? That's Rita McMahon, Wild Bird Fund's director. The Wild Bird Fund is New York City's only bird rehab facility. That means all the injured birds in the city, the city of skyscrapers and pigeons, all of them come here. And here is basically a three-bedroom apartment with a basement. It's packed, literally, with birds. Every room has at least one or two birds preambulating about it like it owns the place. It's a beautiful sight. In here we have a young uh, mute swan. We started our rounds with this beautiful animal. He's just a year old and he's angry. He has not been here that long. Hi, sweetie. You need to get your bedding changed. Yes. So this is just a youngster, but he is lead poisoning. How, does, um, how do birds get lead poisoning? The environment in New York City is quite toxic. Yeah. It really is in the soil, the water, the air. It's everywhere. And he like has it. Runoff, industrial, runoff, easily. water mixing with construction. like Well, demolition. Really, as you take down an old building to build a new building, what comes down is maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and lead paint was mm. banned not so long ago. One thing I wanted to ask you is the percentage of how many of the birds are here because of the city, because of human-made problems? Oh, it's, it's nationally, it's estimated that 90% of wildlife rehab cases are directly or indirectly due to human activity. Mm -hmm. So we build the buildings, they smash into it. We pollute the water, and they get poisoned by it. Uh, we, they get hit by our cars, our bicycles, trucks, and then the worst offender is the cats. There are cats and they kill and kill and kill. They kill more birds than anything else. Cats. Rita changed out the pad that the swan was sitting on. It sounds ferocious, but the soft-billed waterfowl's bark is worse than its bite. Mm. But we got to get you cleaned up a bit, sweetie. Can I slip that out from underneath you? Yeah, I can. It's okay. It's okay. Let's just do that. Okay? Good. All right. All right. I told Rita what Spoon told me about prisoners taking care of wild birds. Well, yes, they do. No, it's well. Um, we had a, which is a very sexy bird, a snowy owl, who landed in Rikers, and was hanging out in the yard, and he was there, I think, for a little while before he was picked up and brought to us, and I think a lot of people were guarding him to make sure he was okay, and I think they didn't want him taken away because he was so wonderful. He ended up in the laundry room out of the yard, and it was, uh, unfortunately, he was very, very sick. And, it and he was picked up in June or July, which is not the time for a snowy owl to be 
in New York. They should be at the Arctic. Mm. So he never flew because he was sick. He never yeah. flew back home because oh, he was sick. My friend Spoon Jackson, who I'm doing this uh, project with, said that uh, the geese had some goslings, and so yes. um, he said that the geese would attack other birds and like other people when they would get close, but like Spoon hung out enough and like would play like a flute. Oh, uh, nice! And they do like music. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Well, I mean, I've seen them respond to it, uh, and and you know, like a a cardinal or a, a little kestrel falcon or whatever, and they like listening. And oh, okay. so certain, I can't, we haven't narrowed which ones they like the best. And we, we do classical for them, so anyway. So they were into Spoon's flute. Not that I doubted him, but I was holding out a little bit. I mean, it's hard to communicate with animals. We don't know what they think and what if they know what we think. I asked Rita how they at Wild Bird Fund know what the birds want it's that's it's not a science so much as as a pleasure to watch them and and see what you might learn from them um here we learned one right off the bat that the waterfowl the big birds with the big feet they wanted mats tumbling mats like this Hmm. good foamed mats to stand on and the way we learned it was that in the exam room where the rehabber would be working all afternoon, they have a anti-fatigue mat, a nice thick mat to stand on for their feet. Yeah. And every day it got to be, there'd be a Canada goose and a, a herring gull and somebody else all standing with the rehabber on that mat. And it's finally <laughs> like, okay, I got it guys, you want your own mat. So you see that great big tumbling mat out there. And, and one year we had five swans at the same time in the winter. And it's not that big a mat, it's a normal size. All five would all make sure they were on there. And they were all standing there enjoying gelling, like they say, for the shoals pads. It was, they were gelling on that. And it's actually very... Rita took me on a tour of some patients. She showed me a wild turkey that didn't particularly like its treatment. I see you did take it off. So his left wing... Is actually broken the radius. Told me why um, not to feed so pigeons. Back to it. When you feed pigeons all the time, they will have more and more babies. She gave me some good general dead bird advice. You pick it up, hold the bird, and if the legs move, if you can move the legs easily, they're not stiff, it's alive. So it's not dead, it's alive. What do you do? Put it in your pocket, bring it home. When it wakes up, turn off the light, catch them again and put them outside in the park. And you will have saved someone who would have died, which is a good thing. Rita then showed me the most beautiful bird I've ever seen. So this is a beautiful little kestrel falcon who has trouble with one eye. Um, Sorry, I know, radio, you can't see this. But did you hear me gasp? I'll play it again. One eye. It really was beautiful. After that, Rita then took me downstairs. So down here is where most of the action takes place. And you see pigeons flying free. And they're free while their cage gets clean. The basement walls were lined with bird cages, but they weren't all filled. About seven to ten pigeons were bounding about, fluttering to and fro as the staff and volunteers cleaned their cages and administered medicine. 
And then today there was a release, so a lot of these scraps. Yeah. So Enrique just released nine pigeons in Central Park at a mm -hmm. place we call the Pigeon Tree. And it's where other people feed them every day. So we know they're getting a meal every day and the flock comes down and we bring our birds out there and they join the flock. And then the flock acts like local parentis. It shows those new guys, the youngsters that have <laughs> yeah. just joined them, where to find food. It's like, let's go see the lady at the park bench at one. The kids get out at three o'clock and they're at the hot dog cart. Good eats there. I don't know if there are any ugly birds. I mean, vultures, turkeys have that weird face thing, but I, I like all birds. One bird that we all think is cute, baby ducks. Right here is someone who will talk for you. Yeah, a little, yeah. little baby duck. My name's Desi, I'm Desi. And he was a, uh, he is a domestic duck. And he, as a joke or a prank, someone ordered him online and had him delivered to a friend. <laughs> Which is a really sad thing that people think animals' lives are disposable. Wait, friend again. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't any joke to me. Thank you once again to our wonderful contributor, Matt Schneeman, for that very interesting piece. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with him on one point, though. I have definitely seen some ugly birds, seen some very mean-looking pigeons out there. Um, there is a group of wild turkeys that shows up in my parents' backyard in New Jersey once every three years, and they are horrifying, um, very scary, um, so full-on disagree, but... Other than that, very cool piece, very interesting. Um, the note about the amount of toxic demolition going on in the city, I think is very interesting and very on brand for the show as well. Um, but yeah, Matt, thanks again for a great piece, for pulling a heavy load this week, for getting stuff ready for us. Um, I am going to do another little music break um, in honor of the birds that we just heard so much about. I'm going to play uh, a song uh, with the the word fly in the title. Haha. Uh -huh. um, it's Bobby Womack's cover of Fly Me to the Moon, in other words. Here we go.
was once again uh bobby womack's cover of fly me to the moon uh and yeah it was featured if anyone watched out there watched euphoria season one it was featured uh pretty prominently in this very beautiful uh scene very early in the season so i've been listening to it pretty regularly since then uh, but yeah so this is objection to the rule your sunday news hour live on radio free brooklyn my name is emily and i am running uh, a solo show today uh, for this holidays. Every, I let everyone go. <laughs> I said, you're free. You know, <laughs> um, I'll just, I'll do it. I'll take one for the team. Um, no, but everyone's been great this week helping me get ready. And yeah, we're just doing a slightly different format than usual, less discussion. So it's not just me talking to myself into the ether. Uh, we were having some pre-recorded segments that uh, match name and put together. Um interspersed with some straight more or less straight reporting and some extra music so anyone who's doesn't like music i'm sorry (laughs) um but yeah we're back with some news so i have a segment from our newest regular contributor zoe abadon sorry zoe (laughs) zoe abadon um a national story she put together on um college well she titled it colleges agreed to allow increased competition for applicants For many selective colleges, more than half of their incoming freshman class will have been accepted through early admission. However, the early decision process has been heavily criticized as an unviable option for lower-income students who can't commit to a school before knowing the financial aid package the school will offer them. Now that stranglehold may finally be broken. In a proposed agreement announced this month to answer Justice Department antitrust accusations, The National Association for College Admission Counseling said it would allow its member college and university counselors to recruit students even after they have committed to another school and would permit members to encourage students to transfer after they have already enrolled. The agreement brings 
an end to a two-year investigation into the association's code of ethics by the Justice Department's Antitrust Division, which enforces laws governing fair consumer and competitive market practices. In a complaint, the Justice Department maintained that the organization's recruitment standards violated antitrust laws because they, quote, substantially reduced competition among colleges, first college applicants, and potential transfer students and deprived those, uh, these consumers of the benefits, end quote. These changes stand to make up the admissions process. Oh, I'm sorry, stand to shake up the admissions process in the next year, affecting some colleges' ability to predict the size of their freshman classes while allowing some students to benefit from competitive financial aid packages or even bargain for assistance right up until they walk onto a campus. Higher education experts anticipate that the changes will mostly be felt by smaller or less selective institutions many of which are already feeling uh, already forecasting enrollment losses because of a looming, quote, demographic cliff from uh, falling birth rates and diminishing interest from foreign students. University representatives say it is unclear if the increased competition will prompt colleges and universities to lower costs for pers- uh, prospective students or if it will simply result in colleges rushing to recruit more affluent tuition-paying students to secure their revenue early. Uh very interesting topic, Zoe. Thank you for putting that together. Um, yeah, college tuition, man. <laughs> it's a hot topic these days. And this is a perspective I think that um, I haven't really heard much on at all since I was going through the process of applying for colleges. Uh, we're hearing a lot um, from, you know, uh, election campaigns of, you know, student loan debt, tuition caps or whatever it may be. Um, maybe not that one. I might've just said that, but <laughs> stuff related to the astronomical, um, costs of attending a four-year college in this country, uh, these days. And, uh, this is an interesting issue. Um, yeah. Thanks for putting it together, Zoe. Um, all right. So I'm going to do another music, another, another music, another song break, uh, because, uh, I want to, Yeah. So this is a song from the band General Public called Tenderness. Uh, it I know it most from uh, the end of the movie Clueless. Um, and oop. Uh, here it is. Okay.
that was Tenderness from the band General Public, featured prominently in a number of movies, but my favorite is Clueless. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, it's a fun fact while we're here. Uh, the song's lyrics tell about a man who really needs tenderness to feel like a man. It was one of the band's first singles, and the single cover of the extended version has a sentence reading, words like conviction can turn into a sentence. Very poetic. Uh so you are listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, a music-heavy episode, if you will. Um, be so kind as to allow me to do that. Um, I forgot to mention also that Zoe got a bunch of her research for her college uh, piece um, from the New York Times. Thank you again to Zoe. And we are going to dive into one last uh, piece that Matt Shaman helped provide. This is not an original by him, though. Uh, it is an excerpt from the uh, podcast Mobilize, which we featured, I think, once before. Um, it's a local activist show uh, podcast, I believe, that highlights New York City organizers. And Matt was great, though, and um, put the, you know, chopped and whatever the, <laughs> the excerpt together. So here is that uh, coming right up. Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts the spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who have decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We, we pull, pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared, shared humanity. Episode 20, Alessandra Biaggi, Doing the Work. I interviewed Alessandra Biaggi in 2018 when she was running for the New York State Senate as one of the challengers to the Independent Democratic Conference, a group of nominally Democratic senators who caucused with Senate Republicans. Now that Biaggi is a state senator for District 34, we wanted to have her back in to talk about what it's like to go from being an insurgent to being a senator in a new Democratic majority and to get her opinion about what the priorities should be for Democrats and progressives now, both in New York and nationally. So the last time we had you here, you were running. You were in yes, the primary. That's right. So I was one of several Democrats that ran against turncoat Democrats, also known as the IDC. I ran against the founding member of the IDC, Jeff Klein. In my election, I was outspent about 11 to 1. He spent roughly $3 million. I spent about $200,000. And when we won, we won by 10 points. And there were 15 new members of the Democratic Conference. Um, that's 18 percent of the conference being new. That is incredibly wild in terms of numbers. And so many young people and just people with fresh ideas and fresh energy. And so we went to Albany in January, myself and, and my new colleagues. And of course, all the things that we campaigned on from women's reproductive health to the environment to school funding to criminal justice reform. Rent regulations. Rent regulations, which was huge. 
almost every single thing that we all campaigned on passed. It was an historic legislative session. And it's not lost, I think, on many people, including, interestingly, the governor who actually said this was the most productive legislative session in modern political history. I thought that was very nice for you to say that, right? Because we don't often get compliments from him. Well, yeah, especially because he was saying not so nice things about like, don't get out of control. But I really think it is an incredibly challenging dynamic to be in a room full of people who are a lot of them from downstate, some of them from upstate, western, southern. It is very hard because there's different challenges and they represent different constituencies. And so when you come to the table and you're saying, well, this is very important to me, we have to do this. And they're saying to you, great, but if I vote for this in my district, it's over, right? And that took me a long time to come to terms with because I am 33 years old. I am a millennial, right? Millennials and Gen Z are going to be very soon the largest voting bloc in the history of the United States of America. Think about that. That is insanely powerful. I think that some of us, even in these positions, I feel overwhelmed by what's happening in our world. For anybody who feels hopeless or helpless, you better vote. If you stay home, you are a part of the problem sincerely because there are so many of us, all the people right now in power that we really do not like and disagree with, we can overpower them because there are more of us. And if we have seen anything, it is that people are more powerful than money and special interests. And so you've got to vote and you've got to use your voice. You have to. You just have to do it. And it's not just voting, right? You have to. It's not just voting. Holding your electeds accountable, knowing that you can even call them and say, why did you vote this way? I want you to care about this thing, right? It's also your workplace, your school, on the street. Somebody throws garbage on the floor. Ask them to pick it up and put it into the trash can. If somebody says something to somebody in a classroom that you're in, say that that's not kind. Somebody's racist, say that is a racist comment. That is not how we talk to each other. Using your voice to call out this behavior and identify it, it sends a massive ripple, right? And if we have these social norms and these social contracts that we all agree with each other on, it will change the dynamics of our entire world. It's the smallest, littlest crumb of a thing that will do that. And that is why it's overwhelming because there are so many crumbs that are needed to like literally build a mountain. But you got to do it. Like you just have to. We have to do this. Thank you uh, again to the uh, show Mobilize and to Matt Shaman for putting together not only that, but um, some other original content that he has put together himself for today's show. Uh, Matt Shaman, you're a a hero and a gentleman. Um, And we have also one last uh, story to report for today. And it's also from Matt Shaman and it's a world story. A little bit of world news. He got, uh, well, I'll just, I'll read through it and you'll understand. Um, so this, in his words, uh, let's talk about Brexit. Just kidding. You've heard enough about Boris Johnson and his determined efforts to get in the British equivalent of a DeLorean and hit 88 miles an hour to majestically transport the UK 
with Scotland and Northern Ireland, and I guess Wales too, but um, back to England's glory days of economic independence and strength. Uh, so let's not talk about Brexit. Then how about the protests in India over the new law that grants citizenship of persecuted minorities uh, except Muslims? This is following the slow burn rise of the Nationalist Party, BJP, that links Hindus with India, a reversal of India's post-colonial secular constitution. The world's largest democracy under attack by an internal nationalist takeover. Sounds important enough, right? No. Well, yes, of course it's important. Six people died in the latest protest. But you can read up on that yourself. Does <laughs> Matt. <laughs> For this section of the world news, I, Matt, want to focus on an article put out by Al Jazeera on Af- Africa's top pop and dance hits of 2019. Topping Al, as, as Matt <laughs> paraphrased it, Al Jazz's list was Vivian Shadid's Dudara. She's a S- Senegalese singer that mixes uh, Mbalax and Matt. <laughs> I'm grateful Matt put a pronunciation guide there. Mbalax uh, and R&B. What's Mbalax? Uh, Mbalax is modern enough for us Westerners to understand and traditional enough to get a glimpse of West Africa's which, uh, rich culture. Unusual voices singing in the Wolof language. An ethnic drum beat here and there, electric guitars imitating traditional Sabar rhythms. And that's uh, that definition that Matt just got there was from AfricanMusicSafari.com. Uh, the song feels good. And with the rise of anti democratic nationalism covering the news, I think we need a little bit of joy. Um, thank you, Matt. I cannot agree more. Um, it was a surprise, also world slash good news story. I didn't want to ruin it at the top, but um, I wanted to play a bit of that song, of course. And here it is, Do Dara by uh, Vivian Chidid. Nena dafa amana All right. 
Thank you again, Matt, for that story and the song, uh, for introducing me to the song, I should say. Um, so thank you for listening uh, to this week's edition of Objection to the Rule. We have closed in on the end. Uh, you've been listening uh, to a lot of me, Emily Scott, uh, a regular host here, um, and Matt Shaman's vo- voice. Um, a lot of our stories put together by our wonderful staff, um, Sarah and Zoe. Thank you to everybody else involved with the show regularly. Um, you can catch all our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app um, on our uh, homepage website as well and then on iTunes podcast um, and also FYI Radio Free Brooklyn's Drive to Five fundraising campaign is underway in May RFB turns five years old and we need to raise $25,000 so we can continue bringing you continue bringing you commercial free independent radio for another five years uh, because we think raising money should be fun each month we'll be bringing listeners fun challenges with some great prizes the first is a trivia quiz to find out just how well you know RFB. The top five scorers, scorers will win a limited edition five-year anniversary RFB t-shirt. Uh, so yeah, check that out. It's awesome. Um, support independent radio. It's really important. Um, we uh, will be back next uh, in two weeks with another original episode. We'll be airing a repeat next week for the holidays for New Year's uh, weekend. Um we're, I'm going to play you out on uh, some more music. Surprise, surprise. Um, in honor of the Christmas week and also a Chag Sameach to all of those celebrating the first day of Hanukkah today. Um, but in honor of Christmas week, I'm going to play um, one of, I mean, Christmas week, holiday week, whatever. And one of my favorite Christmas songs is also kind of a kind of a sad one. I don't know if it's because I grew up watching it in Look Who's Talking Too, which is a featured prominently song in there. But um I'm going to play us out on Please Come Home for Christmas, which is the Eagles version of that song. So have a great week, everybody. Um, Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Bells will be ringing.